so I'm here with um, an awesome person in my life, Professor Michael Arnold. Uh, thank you so much for talking to me this morning, Professor Arnold. Uh, I wanted to talk to Professor Arnold because he's a awesome professor at the university. He's really passionate about teaching, really passionate about research, and is also very entrepreneurial. So I thought it would be an awesome person to talk to to get a sense of what the academic entrepreneurship route looks like. Uh, so, Professor Arnold, I'd, I'd love it if you could just start by telling us a little bit about who you are and where, where you come from and how you got to be a faculty member at the University of Wisconsin. Sure. Yeah, well, thanks, Max. It's great <laughs> great to talk to you today. Um, um, yeah, so when I was an undergraduate in college, I was um, studying electrical engineering at the University of Illinois, um, and I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. Um, I had taken some internships at companies over the summer. Um, they were they were fun, but I wasn't super excited about it. And then um, my advisor, my undergraduate advisor, said, "Hey, why don't you try to do some research in my lab?" And um, at the time, I didn't really realize how much research was going on at, at the university level. Um, if you think about it, campus is this huge campus with all these buildings and very few of them are actually classrooms and behind the scenes there's all sorts of exciting research going on. I hadn't realized that and I did research with this uh, professor, Joe Lighting, uh, and I was hooked. I said, wow, I love doing research. And from then on, kind of my course towards becoming a professor was was very clear. Um, That's when I realized that I, well, I already, I always knew I loved teaching, and I realized at that time I loved research, and if you love both teaching and research, then becoming a professor is kind of the <laughs> ideal profession. Yeah. When did you realize that you loved teaching? Uh, I realized I loved teaching probably when I was in high school, when I was always helping uh, my peers with, with homework and tutoring, and um, it's just I loved explaining things in a clear way to to kind of my friends and, and fellow classmates that I enjoy, enjoyed doing it. So cool. that was something I kind of always have known. And you mentioned that you did research as an undergrad. What type of research were you doing? Was it electrical engineering stuff? Was it materials electrical yeah. engineering? Yeah, the research I was doing is at the intersection of uh, material science and electrical engineering. Um, so sp- uh, the, the lab was studying um, scanning tunneling microscopy of surfaces. So scanning tunneling microscopy, it lets you image um, the surfaces of materials with atomic resolution. Um, so your image you might take might be 10 nanometers by 10 nanometers and you can you know, see how the atoms are arranged in the surface. Um, so this group had uh, five or six ultra high vacuum scanning tunneling microscopes that were really state of the art in the world. Um, and the, the, the Joe Lighting, the, my advisor, had an idea for a, kind of a cool project, which was um, to try to create a, um, to try to create materials with with the STM, um, specifically nanostructures. And we were studying silicon, and the very top layer of the silicon is passivated with hydrogen, and the hydrogen kind of reduces the reactivity of the silicon. And what you could do with the SDM tip is you could come in and you could selectively pluck off hydrogen atoms one by one in kind of a custom pattern. 
and then the idea was is then we would flow silicon precursor gas into the SDM chamber and it would react only where we had removed those hydrogens. And that would leave a new layer of silicon that was hydrogen passivated in itself, and then you could go and selectively remove the hydrogens from that and kind of build up 3D nanostructures, atomic layer by atomic layer. So it was, so it was kind of a, a very creative idea that was um, of high risk, high reward. Um, I got it to half work, <laughs> um, and then I graduated and moved on. Um, but it was this extremely fun research. It was just really eye-opening. So from there, did you do your PhD in electrical engineering or in materials engineering? Yeah, so I ended up switching to material science. Um, and I, at, the, at that point in time, um, I realized that as an electrical engineer, like I was really interested in semiconductor electronics uh, and transistors. And I realized that to make a better transistor, electrical engineer can only do so much. They could, the electrical engineer will change the design of the, the, the size of your transistor or the um, architecture, uh, the shape of the transistor, other things like that. Um, but to really make better transistors, what was really needed is new, new materials, uh, materials that might um, be better semiconductors than silicon, for example. Um, and so I kind of have had, a, by working in this um, lab that was at the interface of material science and electrical engineering, I really kind of um, really saw the advantages that material science and engineering offers, which is being able to create completely new materials with better properties, and, and that could really impact applications uh, tremendously. Um, so at the same at the same time, in between undergraduate and graduate school, I had done um, uh, uh, an additional research experience at IBM Research in, in New York, uh, and I had been introduced there to carbon nanotubes. So this is what we're currently researching here in my lab at Wisconsin, one of the materials. And um, semiconducting carbon nanotubes are better semiconductors than silicon. Um, and so that further really cemented my desire to go into material science versus electrical engineering is the ability to just make new materials um, and really impact things from that from that angle. That's cool. That's really, I was I was watching a quantum computer video from IBM the other day. So doing a lot of cool quantum work. Mm -hmm. and there's a there's a lady who runs the quantum computing research there. Sure. Who's a firecracker and it would be awesome to interview her as well for the podcast. Uh huh. Uh, she's very entrepreneurial and very materials engineering oriented. So clashing those two interests and my personal interests. Sure. Yeah. Um, so another question I wanted to ask you is there's a lot of research going on at universities like you like you described. Yeah. What are some ways that people can go about finding those opportunities and identifying where professors need help or meaningful projects that they can work on? Sure, yeah. Well, I mean, just about every professor has a research group. Um, and just about every professor has a website that <laughs> lists all their publications and usually some sort of summary of their research. Um, and yeah, so if you're an undergraduate student hoping to get involved in research, then I mean that's the place to start. Is you just start browsing faculty's websites, um, and most most professors will usually have uh, a small number of undergrads around helping in the lab. Um, 
And so the question is, is how do you, how do you convince one of these professors, if you're, if you're an undergraduate, to take you on? Um, and so my advice always to my advisees is to, um, if you're really excited about someone's research, is to read up on it, learn about it, um, and just go, don't send an email, but go meet with that professor uh, and just don't ask for a position maybe right away, but just talk about the research. And if you've read up on that research and you're really excited about it and you start to learn about it, um, then you'll have something to talk about with that professor and then you'll come off as very serious. Uh, your, your interest will be viewed as very genuine. Uh, and then, um, and, you know, and then later you could ask for a research position. So like, I think that's the best approach that usually works for me at least when students come talk to me. Um, but when, you, when you're you know, perusing faculty's websites, uh, you know, a lot of it will go over your head. Um, there's just so much jargon and terminology specific to any particular research project that there's no way you'll pick it up, and that's, that's pretty normal. It, it takes a couple years of being in the field so you could really pick that all up. So, so if you're going to read a professor's you know, web page, then don't get overwhelmed. Just try to take bits and pieces of what you've read, and, and what you don't understand, that could be the topic of the conversation you have when you go meet with that faculty member. Okay. A little bit of a convoluted follow-up question. Sure. So I find sometimes when you're reading through a web page, you're learning a new research topic or a new research field. Um, I had this experience several times already in my undergrad undergrad program. Mm -hmm. You kind of don't know what you don't know, so you don't know what a good question is to ask to guide you in the right direction. So mm -hmm. how do you recommend people get that background, that, that basis of knowledge in a totally foreign field so that they can ask good questions to get, get them pointed in the right direction? Mm. Yeah, that's not easy. Um, it's like it's kind of like learning a, a foreign language. There's different types of approaches, right? So you could go, um, if you want to learn Spanish, and you could take Spanish 1 and Spanish 2 and Spanish 3. And maybe by the time you get to Spanish 12, you'll be... You know, you'd be able to uh, almost fluent, um, or you could just go to Spain, be completely lost for a long time. But that's the quickest way to pick up the language. Yeah, definitely. Um, so that's kind of how like just jumping into a new research project is. It's like going to Spain and knowing nothing about the language, and but you'll pick it up the fastest, um, and you'll ask some dumb questions to start when you know nothing of the language of research or that particular field. and So my advice is just don't don't be worried about asking bad questions. It's great advice. Yeah. Really great advice. <laughs> uh, follow up to that. So when you get into a research opportunity, how do you recommend students make the most of it so that they're not kind of just sitting around twiddling their thumbs, that they're at the very least learning something or shadowing somebody and sure. learning meaning, meaningful information um, and maybe doing some meaningful work as well? Sure. Yeah, so um, so I like to have the, the 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 undergraduate students at least start off working, you know, one on one with a, a graduate student, just to kind of learn about uh, the different techniques and tools and and so forth that go on in the lab. Um, but if you really want to get um, like involved, going in your own direction, um, then it's important to. Um, 
it's important to know why you're doing the research. What is it like the end goal? Um, and sorry, turn no up my phone here. No worries. <laughs> oh, this is like Okay, yeah, so um, I think, so for, for, a, for an undergraduate student to kind of um, go in their own direction with research, um, to make sure they're not going in some random direction that's not important, they really need to understand what are the, the big picture goals behind the project. And this is something I think students who are just starting off um, kind of take for granted and don't really appreciate the need to understand what is the end goal? Um, and like, why are you doing this research? Why is it a big deal? What are the challenges? Um, like, why has so when you're doing research, you're doing something for the first time that no one else has done before, oftentimes. And there's always a reason no one's done before. There's some challenge, so you have to know what those challenges are. Um, and and just knowing kind of like the landscape will inform what experiments you should do. Um, on your own, um, whereas if you don't know the landscape, you'll be just doing random things that m might not be meaningful, if that makes any sense. Um, so when I was at IBM doing research there, um, they were working on um, the very first carbon nanotube transistors. And there's a big problem in the carbon nanotube field, which is that carbon nanotubes, when you make them, come in two different types. There's metallic nanotubes and there's semiconducting nanotubes. Um, and what I understood at the very beginning was, well, that's a big challenge. If you can't get rid of the metallic nanotubes, then carbon nanotube electronics will never, never work. Just to clarify for everybody, that's yeah. in the same mixture, right? So when you make yeah. nanotubes, it's 50% semiconducting, 50% yeah. metallic per se. Yeah. It's, it's, so you get a mixture of two-thirds semiconducting and one-third metallic, all in the same all in the same powder. And you can't separate them apart. Mm -hmm. At least you couldn't at the time. Um, so I realized um, that carbon nanotubes could be better than silicon, so the motivation and the impact would be enormous if we could get nanotube electronics to work. But there's this huge challenge that there's these metallic nanotubes. Um, so what I decided to do for the summer was um, work on how do you get rid of the metallic nanotubes. Just I just tried crazy ideas, and one of them actually worked kind of well, um, which was to use voltage pulses to send electricity down the metallic nanotubes, but not the semiconducting ones, and they just burn in air. Is that like the, a while back I asked you about this Tesla coil? sorting length, sure. length aligning mechanism. Is that kind of similar? Because they use the electric field gradient coming off of the Tesla coil to um, yeah, so, the length of the tube. So this work, I've seen this work. I don't know who it's done by on using a Tesla coil to align nanotubes. Um, that's more alignments. So what, okay. this, what, this, what this did is it made a transistor where there are metallic nanotubes and semiconducting nanotubes in the transistor. And then the transistor allows you to turn on and off the conductivity of the semiconductors. Okay. So you run the transistor in the off state when everything should be off, but the metallic nanotubes never turn off. Then you apply a huge voltage pulse, burns away all the metallic Got nanotubes, it. leaving just the semiconducting ones behind. Got it. Um, 
So basically, that I just that that direction of research was only possible because of because of the realization of what were the biggest challenges in the field and what um, and, and, and what the desired goal end goal would be, which would be a transistor of only semiconducting nanotubes. And so, um, I guess my advice is just have trying to build the perspective of where the field is and where it needs to go will kind of help guide your research, whether you're just starting at research or at any, your any level of research. So do you have any first principles that you use in your research and your teaching, family life, entrepreneurship life, all across the board? And yeah. If you do, what are they? So like, what do you mean by first principles? Like, first principles, say, philosophical first principles, uh, I mean, obviously physics first principles. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, maybe some thermodynamics in there too <laughs> but just maybe some philosophical or psych- human psychology first principles that you try to apply when you're teaching students mm. onboarding new grad students per se or conducting new research mm. yeah well um, I don't know if I have the same principles that I apply to all of those things okay. but um, I think um I really, so when it comes to research, um, I I think that something I try to stress is just how to be creative, like principles about how to be creative. Um, so especially when you're engineering, creativity is really important and being able to think outside the box and come up with new solutions is very important. Um, and so, like to, the things I do to help myself become creative, for example, are um, I work from different places all the time. So I'll work from my office, or I'll work along the lakefront, or I'll go for a walk, um, or I'll just go to the union, or I'll go to the um, various buildings. I have just various places on campus I like to go. And just being, in my, from my experience, just going to different environments. Um, instead of just sitting at your desk all the time, really helps um, kind of like, just helps your mind come up with different ideas, just different perspectives, just as different environments around you helps your mind work in different ways. Um, in terms of um, teaching, um, yeah, so teaching is my, like the way I try to teach is I try to, put myself in the perspective of the students and I mean that's that's one of the most important things of student of teaching is really figuring out what the student comes in what knowledge they come in with and what they don't come in with um, and you know just backing backing up your mind to that point and thinking about when I when you were when I was at that point in my classes and and so forth what did I know and didn't know um, so, like, I don't know, I think a general principle in life is whether you're teaching someone um, you know, thermodynamics or whether you're trying to just relate to someone is, you know, put yourself in their shoes. It's mm-hmm. pretty, pretty cliche thing to say, but I think super important. <laughs> um, it really gives you the right perspective to deal with people. Um, and to kind of have a conversation with them. 
Um, I don't know. What other kind of things are you interested in, in knowing in, in, that, in was, that, that line was of questioning? Also, that was also in the creativity piece. So when you're going to all these other locations across campus, mm-hmm. um, do you have different mindsets that you put or different hats that you put on when you're in different places? So when you're in your office, are you, you know, grant writing? When you're at the union, are you sure drawing, maybe? <laughs> no, I'll just do everything anywhere. Um, so, yeah, like I, I will grant write um, for my office sometimes. I'll, I'll be, you know, typing away at my laptop. Um, Sometimes I'll take my laptop to sit near the, the lakefront and type away there. Um, sometimes I'll take my notepads around. Um, sometimes I feel that when I'm writing, so you know, there's this notion of writer's block that is a big problem when you're writing. Um, and I, I get around that by, um, by rather than just sitting at my computer using a notepad. Because uh, you can't really delete what you write on the notepad so well. Where if you're sitting on your laptop, you sit there and write a sentence, and then you're you're perfectionist about it, and you delete delete the sentence, and you rewrite the sentence, and you delete it again, and you rewrite the sentence, and you delete it again. You never really get any anywhere. Um, so what what I like to do is I just try to write down something as fast as I can in my notebook, um, and it's just kind of a flow of ideas, and then I'll. Right, fill up as much of my notebook as I can, and then I'll type that in later. Um, and that allows, I think, more ideas to come out faster than when you're sitting at your computer. And so for me, at least, computer is just uh, is, is a bad tool for writing because I I'm, I'm really am a perfectionist when I write my when I write, and it's just too easy to just revise as you write. You gotta pull up one of those open source text editors and just delete the delete option. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> and no mouse either. <laughs> Only typing in spaces. Yeah, so that would be great for me. Um, yeah, I don't know. I have like, I I tend to think of my best ideas just doing while well, I'm doing random things. I'll be um, out rollerblading or something, and I'll have an idea. You rollerblade. Yeah, That's so awesome. I, I I rollerblade. Um, and I uh, will get a great idea, and I'll just annotate it in my phone, so don't forget that I had this great idea. And um, or um, I'll just be doing random things, and ideas will you know pop into my mind. So um, so just yeah, your mind works in really mysterious ways, and when you're focusing on something too hard, it doesn't always work as well. Mm-hmm. Can't just be creative on demand. Yeah. Do you, so, with that said, do, how do you structure your schedule? Do you schedule in some creative blocks ever, or to expand on the ideas that you annotate in your phone? Do you schedule in your grant writing times? Yeah. So, um, if if I'm just trying to brainstorm, um, you definitely need to you definitely need to leave blocks of time for that for mm-hmm. sure. Um, so. One way not to be creative is to fill up all your time with busy work, and so like, um, so it's, it's it is important to um, leave blocks in your schedule that are completely free for um, you're spending more than twenty minutes at a time at something, but several hours at a time here there. Uh, you may not get the great idea you're looking for during those two hours, but um, I think those two hours that you spend just focused on thinking is kind of what 
nucleates the idea that will pop in your head maybe later while you're rollerblading. Um, if you don't have time to just sit down and really focus, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really hard. So it's, it's really easy, especially um, as a faculty member, to have your entire time be just taken up by busy work um, and having very little time to be creative. Um, there's like an infinite number of committees you could serve on. Um, there's always more students to talk to about their, their homework and so forth. And so um, really trying to schedule blocks for working with students and schedule blocks for committee work and schedule blocks for creativity are important. Nice, 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 nice. Um, <clears throat> changing gears a little bit again. So you're a director of a research group and mm -hmm. you're a full-time scientist. So I'm wondering if you could just paint the picture of what the day in the life, the optimal day in the life of a full-time scientist and full-time research group leader and also full-time scientist and research group leader who's pursuing, who likes to pursue entrepreneurial ventures on the sure. side or has aspirations to do that. Sure, yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, I don't know that there's an ideal day. Every the day is question was the was the not ideal day was what the nominal day is like. <laughs> well, every day is every day is very different. Um, I mean, there's different types of people. Some people have, like to have a very structured schedule, or their schedule is mm -hmm. pretty much the same every day. I hate that. I like having something <laughs> completely different every day. Um, uh, for example, I go I go to bed at a different time every single day. I probably wake up at a different time every single day. I come in and leave work at a different time every single day. Um, so I like the flexibility because um, you know, fun things will, will pop up and I want to and I want to do them. I don't want to try to fit them in my schedule. I want my schedule to fit the fun things if that makes any sense. Um, What's so, an example of a fun thing? Yeah, so like um, it, maybe a student will bring uh, bring like an exciting result okay. and it um, they've done some experiments and it's just totally unexpected or and you want to just it's just fascinating you and you and you want to be able to just think about it for a couple hours and, and try to understand what it means and you weren't expecting this result to come to you today but it's so exciting that you just have to think about it for three hours very cool so how do you do that well you need some sort of flexibility in your day um, so yeah so like um an ideal day, like the, the days you really live for are those kinds of days where this, this really awesome result comes to you. Uh, but those come not that often. Um, most of the days are um, spent you know, meeting with students and just talking about uh, their, the trials and tribulations of research. So there's, for every exciting result, there's usually you know, 10 times more failures. Um, the failures could be just really mundane things like um, some piece of equipment that you rely on is not working. Um, or it could be that your idea that you had, um, actually it was a bad idea. Um, and so then, you know, how do you think of a better idea? Um, just meeting with students and going through the, kind of the nuts and bolts of the research. Um, is what the typical day is like. Um, 
And I like to tell my students that for every um, really great idea, you probably need to think of 100 bad ideas first. So like maybe 1% of your ideas really are the golden ones. And so to be like, um, to get to that point where you're actually succeeding with really creative things, you, you have to have a lot of failure first. Um, and so if, you, if it takes 100 ideas to get a good one, then how do you go through all those 100 ideas quickly is really what research is about, um, in my, at least engineering type research. Um, so you need to be able to then maybe take that 100 ideas and just logically deduce what are the best 10 to 20. Then you may need to be able to go in the lab and do quick and dirty experiments, I call it, call it to, to evaluate those first 10 to 20 ideas. Uh, and then maybe there's three ideas that seem the most promising of those quick, from those quick and dirty experiments. Then you do you know, detailed experiments on those three ideas, and maybe one of those will work in the end. Um, so a lot of research is going through those ideas that don't work. That's what the. That's what the. That's what it is. That's about. Um, and. See, so, so the ideal day is really, going through all those failures, <laughs> so you can get to the success. And so you have to really enjoy, f failing. You have to enjoy the problem-solving aspect of failing, um, if, to really like research. Um, because that's what every day is really like. Cool. So you mentioned rollerblading, and I know that you love running. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering if you could just talk to us about some, some of the activities that you enjoy and love to do outside of research and, and work. Sure, yeah. Well, yeah, so personally, um, I love running just because it, um, it really just takes the edge off the day. So the day, the day can be very hectic, um, and your body's like, um, you know, the stress, the stress of just the hectic, hecticness of the day kind of like builds up inside me at least. Mm -hmm. So just a good release. Just feel, 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 um, feel good after I run. That's why I run. And I also love just being outside. Um, rollerblading I picked up in college. I had extra, um, well, when I was a kid, I could never ice skate or rollerblade. I'd go to these birthday parties of ice skating and rollerblading, and I always just stunk. And I'd like hold on to the wall. Not a hockey player. No, I wasn't a hockey player. So, so uh, I had some extra time on my schedule. I took a ice skating 101 for for class credit, and I learned how to ice skate. And then I class credit for ice skating yeah. 101. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, just fun. And uh, so I finally learned. Um, and then I bought some rollerblades, and then I got hooked on rollerblading. Ever since, I still have the same pair I bought then. Um, really? Yeah. So I like I I really enjoy rollerblading because, um, again, you get to be outside. I love being outside. Uh, I love hiking. I love cross country skiing outside. Just really enjoy being outside. Um, and you, it's just a different different from running in that you're going faster. It's a different motion. You you cover more territory faster. Where do you rollerblade? Uh, I usually rollerblade out on some of the bike trail areas that go, you know, out into the country around here or um, 
Yeah, so like out where I live, which is west of Madison, I um, there's there's a large number of bike trails out there that just go in every which direction. That's great. Hockey skates or or regular rollerblades. Um, you have the stopper or I, just I had a stopper, but it bur- it it disintegrated from using it so much <laughs> so long ago that there's no longer a stopper okay. on my rollerblades. That's fun. <laughs> That's fun. I'm yeah. a hockey player, so I, whenever someone says rollerblading or ice skating, I, I get all giddy. I see. Uh, <laughs> um, so, so the other thing I wanted to ask you about, I know that you do some awesome projects with your kids. Yeah. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that because I think it's super cool. Sure. And, yeah. Yeah. So the other time, I, you know, the other the other aspect of my life, you know, that I really enjoy doing outside of work is just you know, spending time with my kids who are nine and eleven now. Um, yeah, my favorite thing to do with them is just build stuff, build stuff, design stuff. Um, so we have, we have about several hundred pounds of these toys called Connects, which are kind of like you know you build stuff like Legos, but they're like long sticks, um, and you could build much bigger things because you don't need to build like solid. Like Lego creations are always like solid on the inside, but these Connects are kind of like erector sets, and you can build a frame of things. So we've We've built all sorts of things out of Connects, everything you can imagine. Um, for Valentine's Day, my son was supposed to make a, a a cardboard box for people to put Valentine's in and take it to school. Instead, we made a motorized box out of Connects that <laughs> spins, and um, it was really loud because the motor was kind of loud, and I'm sure it annoyed the teacher, but uh, it was fun to make that. Um, my son had a Halloween costume. He was a Connects robot. Um, he, um, we built all throughout his room, uh, what's called a ball machine, which is the, uh, connects, you can make like little tracks for balls to roll around and the balls would just roll like from one wall to the other wall and like they drop from arm to arm to arm or go through loops and other things. Um, and this Halloween costume of his was a ball machine. So there was a ball that was going around his body up and down through these tracks and we put all sorts of LED lights on it yeah, that was really fun did the ball fall out or was it encapsulated no it was encapsulated and when, and when the ball gets to the end of the track then there's an elevator that takes it to the top and it just continuously go <laughs> how forever how did it get into this device through the bottom through the bottom yeah wow did it break it all or just no it didn't, it didn't break it all it was uh, I think it's the world's best Halloween costume do you have a picture yeah I have a picture yeah. I have a video I'd love to see that show that to that's you that's awesome <laughs> Um, yeah. So two last questions before we end. Uh, first is, over the past five years, have you had any really transformative experiences that kind of changed the way you view aspects of your life or your life as a whole? Hmm. Well, that's that's really a deep question there. Yeah. Trans- life transforming experiences. Um, well. I, well, I mean, to be honest, I got really sick last spring, so um, you probably didn't know this, but right over spring break, I got really, so you were taking my class, right? But mm-hmm. over the whole week of spring break, I was super sick, and I was in the hospital. Um, and that was kind of life-changing that um, I realized I was probably work, working too much at the time. Like, uh, kind of like my whole life flashed before me. And I realized I'm working too much. And what I realized was like my human body is fragile and that pretty soon I'll be old and 
like that all the time. And it really motivated me to actually work a little bit less uh, and spend a little bit more time with my kids at home. And, um, and it also motivated me to kind of be more choosy about what I work on here at work. Because um, I said that there's infinite number of committees and infinite number of teaching things. I could just, you could just fill up all your time with all these little things. Uh, and what I really decided was I'm only going to do the things that really get me excited because I don't have that much time. Um, so I really realized there's not that much time in life and that you should only spend time on the, on, on the things you get super excited. So I recently read um, read this kind of like life strategy that's called uh, Hell Yeah or No. Okay. Oh, okay. You ever heard of that? Yeah. So basically if someone presents you with an opportunity... Uh, if you're kind of like, yeah, that sounds good, but you're n- if you're not hell yeah about it, you should just say no. Have and you heard the takeout seven when you're trying to do rating and only use six? You can only use one through six or eight to ten. You can't no. use seven. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Another iteration of that because yeah. like, it's a hell yeah or it's a hell no. Yeah. So I think the hell yeah or no, it's it's easy to it's an easy theory to think about and, you, and it sounds great, but then actually doing it in practice is always much harder because it's very hard to say no to people. Mm-hmm. So um, just getting really sick um, last, last spring helped me to start to say no to a lot more things. And that's been kind of life-changing in a way, in that I've been able to spend more time doing the things I want to do, um, whether that be research um, projects or, or, or family time at home. Hell yeah. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Then uh, the last question I had for you, that was an awesome, that was, that was perfect, that was fantastic. I'm mm-hmm. really happy you shared that. Thank you so much. Uh, mm-hmm. The last question I had for you was, what advice would you give to a smart, driven college student that could be a material science major, that could be an electrical engineer, that could be a physics student, that could be a business major? Mm-hmm. Just general advice, what advice would you give them, smart, driven college student who's just about to leave college and enter the real world? Yeah. The real world, huh? Well, so... Yeah, like my, my advice, once they're about to enter the real world, um, maybe it's too late for my advice for them, okay? <laughs> my advice is to make sure that whatever, like let's just take a couple steps back and say that they're just starting college and I wanna give them advice that will set them up by the time they're done with college and okay. entering the real world, which is like, um, find find a job that you just really enjoy. Like this is very cliche as well, but it's just so true. It, like when you have a job that you really enjoy, it doesn't seem like a job at all. Okay, so the but um, so you should always um, kind of. Set yourself up five years in advance. Make your decisions five years in advance. So if you want, if you're graduating college, then probably five years before that, even when you're in high school or a freshman, um, you, the decisions you make at that point should be setting yourself up for five years in advance when you're graduating from college. And so if your goal is to get a job that you really love, um, then you got to start to figure out what that is really early. Um, because you'll probably have some ideas that turn out to be wrong. So, like, my advice to, like, freshmen is try to figure out 
give it your best shot. You may not know. Give it your best shot is guessing is what you think you might want to do for the rest of your life. And try to get involved in that now, like when you're a freshman. And maybe you'll learn that well, that's not really what got you, gets you excited. And you need time. You need several years to kind of like screen the possibilities until you could kind of fall into your groove. Um, so, yeah, my advice to freshmen in college is um, try out, try out things as much as you can. Get involved as like a many activities besides just taking classes that will put you in opportunities to kind of test out different ways of living or working or fields or whatever so that you could screen as many as possible and, and really find your groove sooner than later. Did you do that while you were in college? Yeah, so like, like I mentioned a little bit to you how I thought I wanted to be an electrical engineer mm -hmm. and I thought I wanted to um, work at specific companies and I had gone and done internships. Where was the internship? Um, so I did um, two different internships. One was at a computer, they're both at computer programming companies okay. actually. And I really loved computer programming at the time. But I realized by doing those internships that I just couldn't do that for my whole life. It was, it was I enjoy programming, but it just wasn't, you know, my passion. Um, and so I just kept trying different things, and that's how I eventually stumbled upon research, and nice. that's how I realized I loved it. Cool. Well, yeah. thank you so much. Um, anything else you want to add? Yep, that's it. Okay, cool. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right. Um, all right. Cool. Thanks, Max. Of course.